0: As we pray to him, seek his spirit's help as we have the word read and ministered today. Heavenly Father, we do ask that for Jesus' sake, your word may be of a blessing to us tonight. As we take a moment to focus in on a few verses of Holy Scripture, we may we find ourselves in its reading and its ministry, and in our response to be desirous of all the, the joys of the gospel to praise you for them, and to marvel again at the amazing grace that you have shown in the coming of your Son, Jesus Christ, to take our sin away. We'd ask, Father, that you'd hear us in Jesus' name. Amen. John 18, verses 1 through 11 is our passage for tonight. John 18, 1 through 11. we'll read from John 18 1 through 11 these words from the scriptures when Jesus had spoken these words he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost, not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? We thank the Lord for this portion of his word, may it indeed be of a blessing to us. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, every day that you live your lives, the power And the deceit of sin is evident. Now You could read about it in newspapers or look it up on uh, your internets or watch it on your televisions or you could see it in various political bodies who maneuver and and politicize and try to grapple for position so that they might uh, be able to carry the reins of power like they would like. Uh, you can find it though, it doesn't have to be something that you look for out there, you know that even as you battle in your own lives, that there's that battle that you wage that deals with sin and deceit. And uh, we find power, the power and the deceit of sin at work in this passage as well, right? We find deceit in the betrayer, and we find the power in the soldiers uh, that come from the government, that come from the Gentiles, and you find it in the, the officers from what you might call the religious power, as that be. And as you look at all that and you see that betrayal and you see that brute force and you see the power and deceit at work in this passage, uh, and, and all this to carry out the, the supreme injustice of, of the ultimate goal of crucifying the Lord of Glory—it seems to be in a very most unlikely setting. It's in a garden, and yet when we see things from the perspective of the whole of Scripture, I mean, which is what John often is trying to carry out as he writes his gospel, and as we find we're supposed to be doing as well when we're looking at Scripture. When we back up and we see things from the perspective of the whole of Scripture, we realize that sin taking place in a garden is not so unlikely after all. It was in a garden after all that the problems of sin began for mankind from the start. With Adam and Eve. There was deceit. There was sin, there was the power of evil at work, but while such trouble began in such a setting. And we find that sin and deceit in a garden again. And as we consider the power and deceit of sin in our environment and in our own lives where we have to battle it, we find good news too. Because we also find someone here in the garden. Who is greater than it all? He's greater than the Adam of long ago. He's greater than the deceit and the power of sin in this new garden setting. And greater, thank the Lord, that the power and deceit of sin at work in our own day and in our own lives is overcome and is under the dominion of Christ Jesus, our Savior and Lord. And so we focus this evening on why this one who's about to be arrested in a garden is the greater one in the garden. Because that's what we say. And he's greater because what he says reveals him as the great I am. It reveals him as the great Savior. And it reveals him as the great Son. So we look, first of all, that he's the greater one in the garden because he's the great I am. Our translation speaks of Jesus entering a garden. Our passage, I should mention, I should say, that, that after they had crossed over the Kidron Valley, there was a garden there. And, uh, and that wording must not be ignored in the long history of God's redemptive plan. It was in a garden that sin would occur that would lead to a wilderness of problems and curse for mankind. But it would also be in a garden where these problems and these curses would start to see their reversal into solutions and blessings for those called to be God's people in Jesus Christ. There's this force that comes to find Christ to arrest him. And they're formidable. And as we mentioned, they represent the religious and the political realms. And they're laced with the deceit of a betrayer, Judas. You've got deceit and you've got the power of sin. Full force. We read in our passage that Judas knows where Jesus spends this time. He's been there himself before. But even more importantly, as our passage also says, Jesus knows that Judas knows. Judas knows where he belongs, And Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, comes forward. Judas knows, but Jesus knows even better. In crossing the Kidron Valley, Jesus is crossing a path that his ancestor David crossed in his flight from his very own son Absalom. And yet, as he does this, none of this is outside as all of this is occurring, none of this is outside of Christ's command or control or knowledge In fact, it's because he knows all that's to happen and he knows what's going on and what's going to happen to him that he confronts this mob, this force, this crowd that seeks to arrest him. And he asks the question, whom do you seek? And it's not because he doesn't know, because he does. We, We get told that. He knows what's going to happen to him. That's not why he asks the question. He knows why they're here. He knows who they want. He knows what's going on. What the question allows him to do, however, is to reveal himself to them one more time. And so he asks them, whom, whom do you seek? Now in the Gospel of John, others have sought Jesus and one more time, they will seek him. In the very beginning of John, when Jesus first arrives on the scene, Jesus asks in John one thirty-eight of Nathaniel, What do you see? And in the resurrection account of John 20, Jesus asks of Mary, Whom do you seek? And of course, that was in a garden setting as well, because Mary thought that the risen Lord was the gardener the tender of the garden. And in those events, Jesus reveals himself for who he is. And, and here comes the very same opportunity. He answers literally, I am. Ego that would be the way he would have said it. And the powers that have come to confront him with all their weaponry and their torches and their might, And there are many fall back and fall down. Now, there are those who say, well, they just fall back from surprise because who would want to reveal oneself when one's about to be arrested? Obviously, the powers that work here thought they'd face trouble and they're shocked. But that's not it. What this reply gives to us is a picture, again, of who Jesus Christ, the one in the garden, really was he's the better one in the garden he's the greater one in the garden he's the one who would cause the reversal and the retreat of evil by his righteousness as the divine son of god the divine i am that he is i am as we know in the in the in the gospel of john is thematic we beheld his glory as the great I am, full of grace and truth, says John in chapter 1. It was the I am that revealed himself to Moses long ago. Before Abraham was, I am. It is Jesus as the great I am. That is revealed as the light of the world, as the vine, as the bread of life, as the way, the truth, and the life. As the good shepherd and the door and so on in the gospel of John. He's the great Ego me, he's the great I am. And so it's, it's no wonder that Jesus isn't fooled by evil. Or it takes him by surprise. No wonder that he knew what was going on in the world of evil around him. He had it all in his hands. You know, we may get concerned sometimes that nobody really knows what's going on in our lives. That nobody really understands. That nobody else really cares. We we certainly aren't the perfect ones when it comes to always knowing what it's like to be in somebody else's boots and being sympathetic. We fall short on that. We're called to strive towards that, but we're not perfect when it comes to to understanding all that's transpiring in people's lives and addressing them accordingly. But when we know that Christ has overcome the curse of evil in our lives, when we know He's greater than the evil in our lives, and when we know that Christ has overcome the curse of evil that way, we must also see Him. Even if others may not see it with us, but we must see Him. As the one who knows about the evils and the trials that are happening in our lives, and about the evils in the world around us that would seek to suck the, the joy out of life. Because he's greater than all the evil. He's greater than all that evil. He's in control of it all. He He overcomes that evil as only he can, because he's the great I Am. Even the Lord Jesus Christ. Shock and awe to these people who opposed Him. Well, what would it be for those who believe in Him? Reverence and joy. He's the great I Am. And that's why He's our only comfort in life and in death. That's why He's, he's worthy of our worship and reverence. And why he's, he's worthy of our lives and faith. He alone has the power to overcome the curse of sin in our life. The trials of life and the power of sin in this world. Because he alone is the great I Am. And there's gospel there. He's also the great Savior. You notice the question gets asked twice by Jesus. Whom do you seek? Jesus truly controls the situation here. The plans of men are being plotted against him. and, And he asks the question. They're not asking him. He's asking the question. He's in charge. And again, he asks whom they seek. And again, they answer Jesus of Nazareth. And he reiterates who he is. But this time, he adds to it that since they are seeking him, they should let all these others go. Because they're not the ones that they're seeking. And that's exactly what they do. They let the disciples go and they arrest only Jesus. But in making this statement, John tells us that this fulfills what Jesus said. Of those whom you gave me, I would lose not one. Of those whom you gave me, I would lose not one. Now, there's no doubt that there was a rescue that took place here by Jesus. He protected his disciples from arrest. But that fulfillment was speaking to an even greater rescue. A greater salvation. Because Jesus is heading to the cross. And that work of the cross saves all those that the Father has given him to save. And he loses not one. What tremendous power and love that we see revealed by this fulfilling event in the midst of the deceit and power of evil. Jesus is the complete Savior. that. There's no failure with Jesus. He saves us. He doesn't save us partially, but fully from our sin. And he makes us right with God. He saves all those who are given to him, not missing a single person. Elected by his Father from before the foundation of the world. He is the completely loving and sacrificial Savior who is concerned, not with his own well-being, but of those He came to save from the forces of evil. And that's the kind of Savior we need. And that's the kind of Savior that we get. When our trust is found in this Savior, because He's truly the greater one in the garden. Because while the acts of the first ones in the first garden led to death and curse, That's not what happens here. His act leads to complete blessing and life because of the great Savior that He is. And He alone. And that continues to be the kind of Savior that that you and I remember tonight. And, and, And with whom you commune when you receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. He's not only reminding you of the complete forgiveness that is yours in Him, but you're also encouraged to consider that this one who loved you so completely back then is the very one who's guarding your heart and life right now. And He promises also to be such a Savior to you throughout your life and into eternity. See, it isn't the power of evil and deceit that prevails. The devil would love nothing more than for us to believe that and to live accordingly. But it isn't the power and deceit of evil that prevails. It's the power and the righteousness of the great Savior, the great shepherd of your soul. When your trust is found there, Now, Peter doesn't quite get this, of course, yet. He thinks it's his job to protect the Savior and to save the Savior. When it's the Savior that needs to save him. And he doesn't do that by the sword of man, but by the grace of God. And by his obedience. Even as Jesus showed already by approaching those coming to confront him, Christ shows himself to be the great Son of God who is willing to take the wrath of God on behalf of his people. And Peter, in essence, wants to keep Jesus from his saving work by pulling out his sword. Because the only ultimate victory that he seems to know is what the power of man can provide. Such is the power that has come to take Jesus away after all, that, that they believe in that kind of ultimacy. We we get that, that whole context uh, painted for us here. They're coming in full array. They've got lanterns and torches and weapons, they got people from uh, the military and from the religious sector. And such is the power that has come then to, to take Christ away. Then Peter is, is falling into the same trap as Jesus' enemy. That salvation is found in the power of mankind. Jesus knows a better power. And he knows it as the obedient and therefore great son of God, in whom God is well pleased. The greater power is found in his obedience. That's where the power is found. Submitting to his father's will. The greater power is found in his willingness to follow in the ways that his father has marked out for him. That's where the power is. And the cause of the Savior and the cause of salvation will never be won by the sword. Even today, many think that the way of righteousness will be won by holy war and terror. kingdom of God, for them, is one that terrorizes people into a compulsive state of slavery and fear. And for others, that kingdom is only when one wins at the ballot box or, or, or holds the reins of the courts. For others that salvation is really an unnecessary thing, for they know they see no reason for grace in their life. Life is fine the way it is, in their own power, in their own way of thinking. But mankind lost that power in a garden long ago by way of disobedience. And so we needed another one in another garden. To free us from our spiritual slavery. And not by the sword. But by his willingness to be obedient unto death, even death on the cross, and to take the wrath we deserved. To take our place and drink the cup. We otherwise would have had to drink, but which we would never have been able to drink fully and completely. Jesus is saying to Peter, I've got to drink that cup. That spiritual freedom that we need is won by this great son who drinks that cup. The sword can be intimidating. But it cannot accomplish what the grace of Jesus Christ, the great son of God, has accomplished on the cross. And the grace that he brings to every life that he calls to his kingdom through the message of the gospel, calling people to turn from sin, turn to Christ and see the power. of Submitting to his ways, even as Christ did long ago for our sake. Now we start by talking about how evident the power and deceit of sin is in the world and that hasn't changed because of the sermon. It is great. But it's not as great as Jesus. There's one greater than the deceit and power of sin. And he was found in the garden. He's the great I am. He's the great Savior. and He's the great Son of God, obedient to death, even death on the cross. And he continues to be the very answer that's needed in our lives. Worthy of our praise, worthy of our trust, worthy of our obedience the great divine Son of God and Savior that He is. And so, yes, be careful about the sin, and the power and the deceit of sin that's out there. But the best way to deal with it so that you can live your life to the full is not to think that that's the power that's supreme. It's the power of Jesus Christ in your life. Amen. Let's take a moment to uh, respond uh, to uh, this message by looking as we're anticipating the communion celebration. Let's go to uh, that very thing right now as we uh, go to the back of the blue hymnal and we'll read from our formulary that we oftentimes read from page 151. We're taking up anticipating the celebrating of the Lord's Supper let's let's read from page 151 yes beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ in the night in which he was delivered up to be crucified